welcome back, and this is our Thanksgiving show. It is. Yeah. One of our favorite times of the year, by the way. Yeah, you know what? One of my sons said uh, last night, he said, I really look forward to Thanksgiving. Christmas is fine. Mm -hmm. But I really like Thanksgiving. Me too. A lot of people really like Thanksgiving. A lot of people do. Well, I like the dedicated meal. (laughs) I mean, we're going to hear Mrs. Bennett's rules, but apart from the rules surrounding the meal, I love the meal. I don't know why you can't have turkey like every week. Every week. There's a restaurant here in D.C., and you let me know about this. Thursday. You treated us, the staff, the radio staff there, which you always do. Very kind to it. Yes, at Prime Rib on K Street. And on Thursdays, they have the turkey meal. Yeah. And it's basically a Thanksgiving preview, if you will. But not anymore, because they don't serve lunch anymore. They don't? No. Huh. I don't know why, but (laughs) so now I'm on the Internet trying to find who serves Thanksgiving all year round. So there's a sports bar in uh, Maryland called the Green Turtle. Oh, yeah. And they used to have this Thanksgiving. in Hyattsville? Yeah, there was one in Hyattsville. There's one in Beltsville, uh, Columbia, Maryland. And so uh, they had, a couple of years ago, they had this Thanksgiving um, wrap. So it was, a, it was a wrap, but it would have turkey, gravy, cranberry sauce, macaroni and cheese, stuffing, and, like, green beans, all in a wrap. And uh, uh, I loved it. And so I came back the following year. This was two years ago. And I'm looking on the menu the week of Thanksgiving. And I asked the waitress, uh, and this is one of my favorite sports bars. And so she's familiar with it. I said, what happened to the, the right. Thanksgiving wrap? And uh, she says, we're not doing it this year. And I said, why? She said, because you're the only one who ordered it last year. <laughs> she remembered you. Yeah, she said, you're the only one who ordered it she last year. You had three of them. You yes. came back three times. Yes. And my wife said, it was, Sierra said, it's disgusting. And uh, she said, everyone agrees with your wife. No one wants to order it. You're the only one. I'm, I'm mad at you, too. I should have brought you one. Yeah, why, yeah. why am I hearing about this now? <laughs> you're right. You're right. I don't treat you. I don't treat you as well as you treat me. No, that's well. That's true. That's true. Anyway, at least in this case, I don't. This, this I don't. Case. I don't. So anyway, the show here. Well, you know, it's kind of family time, great time. So let's think of someone with a great family. That's Sean Alexander. Yes, great football player, Alabama running back at Alabama, uh, two thousand and five MVP with the Seattle Seahawks Seattle in the Seahawks. NFL. Great, yeah. mm-hmm. great man. Great family. Great history. Great story. And we'll tell you that story. And then we'll have Mrs. Bennett's rules. For Thanksgiving dinner, that's from last year. Yes, right, right. We'll replay Mrs. Bennett because we were going to do it ourselves, but it's better. No, the, and the rules are timeless. Right. I mean, these are perennials. Mm-hmm. This is not something that changes from year to year. Which could be very important to a guy like Sean Alexander, who has all these kids at the dinner. Table. They probably need rules. <laughs> There's a lot so, of kids at that table. But I just I, let me throw it to you first in terms of grateful, but um, time to be grateful to give thanks. Right. And you give thanks. Yeah, give thanks uh, every day for, you know, obviously there's the simple things. I mean, there's, and we say simple, but uh, maybe even basic or foundational things like life, you know, work, um, passion in your heart, family. Um, but, you know, I'm actually also thankful for hobbies and things that we do to get away from how serious things can get, you know. And one of the things I like to do is, is I like to play golf. And I'm grateful for the fact that there are things we can do, whether it's to golf or whether you're into cars or whatever it is you're into. Uh, that there are things we can do with our own kind of sub-communities of people uh, to enjoy life because, you know, there's some serious things going on. And and, and if you get your head stuck in the weeds too much, um, you can find yourself living day-to-day in a routine and not enjoying uh, uh, life. And so I'm I'm really thankful this time of year right now, or at least in this season of my life, for things that allow me to get away 
from what's nice. what serious. So. Yeah, I am. I am very grateful for um, my country. Mm-hmm. Yes, my family, mm-hmm. uh, my faith, mm-hmm. and of course, I think of my my high school coach who said, "Remember, boys, three most important things begin with letter F." I said, mm-hmm. "Oh boy, that's not a promising start." But right? What, yeah. what was he going to say? And he said, "Faith, mm-hmm. family, and football." Right. Not necessarily in that order. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, that's fair enough. Yeah. Right. Not necessarily in that order. That's, that's it. But I'm grateful for football, particularly in this fast vanishing season. Sure. I mean, I go to my website there. I, I go to, you know, ESPN and other sports websites. Week 13. My gosh, where's the season gone? What am I going to do? It almost feels as if we just begun. What season. am I going to do? Both college and NFL. Although I do well, enjoy the bowl season. Long, long time. Yeah, but yeah. That's, it's over in January. See, I like the Bulls, um, what seem to be insignificant. I love to see Nevada play Southwestern New Mexico State. In the no, Crisco I know these play. different yeah. regional games. I, <laughs> Just I like to see, you know, yeah. But yeah. it's over in January. It is over. And then January. what are we going to do? It's a long, long time from January to, to July. You know? I don't even want to think about it. I don't either. But it's interesting. You, you see, you have that. other sports, though. You're right. Golf. Golf is. Over in the spring. You yeah, know, it's big. I'll get ready for the waste. And you'll follow games. basketball. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, then we have March Madness. We have that. It's good. And so, uh, and then the NBA playoffs. No Although good. I'm not really. I'm becoming less of an NBA fan. No good. Than no good. No. Else. You know, ten seven foot tall guys. You right. know, it's just not, not interesting. We'll get paid millions of dollars to miss three throws. Yeah, I know. Uh, so. Anyway, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. You want to send us your thoughts about what you're grateful for? Yes. Uh, we'll read them next time. Thank Absolutely. You. Absolutely. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Claude. I'm grateful for you. Can I? Oh, I'm definitely grateful. And I've said this millions of times on the, on the well, not literally, but a lot on the radio and even on the podcast. And I think David Willisall, who we met last week, just kind of hanging out, and Chris Beach will say the same thing. You are hands down, have been and still are, like the best boss, period, ever. And I think a lot of people would say that, too. I mean, you've had people from, you know, Paul Ryan, Laura Ingram, Chris Beach, David Willis, all doing great things, and even lowly, humble me, um, uh, who all no. will, I think, attest to the same thing. I'm not sure if there's yeah. anyone better to work for than Dr. Well, Dr. ask, uh, you know, I, I, I'll tell you something mm-hmm. that um, get me in trouble. Mm-hmm. You could ask Mrs. Bennett, so you could report just what you said and, and say, is, is Dr. Bennett your best boss? <laughs> I might actually get in trouble because I help with best friends, and so if I yeah, but to which to which she will say what? He's he's not my boss, <laughs> right? I'm his boss. Yeah, I'm not going to ask her that because I'll get in trouble for asking that. The other night, or served I grabbed something somewhere at dinner, and she said, "You're not having that," and I immediately put it down. Mm-hmm. And this guy said. You just immediately put it down. You listened to her. I said, yeah. Yeah. It's Mrs. Bennett. Everybody listens to her. I mean, come on. <laughs> she who must be obeyed, you know. Yeah. She's Mrs. Bennett. Everyone listens. Lord almighty. Right. You'll see why when you hear these rules. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Sean Alexander is joining me today. Alabama great player. 2005 NFL MVP with the Seattle Seahawks. Right. Also, a great family man and a pretty big family. Let's uh, start because I want to make sure this audience gets to know you and know you well in the next 20, 25 minutes. Uh, there's so much to ask you about. Uh, Where did you grow up? Did you, you didn't grow up in Alabama, did you? I did not. I actually grew up in Florence, Kentucky. And so, uh, yeah, so my uh, I, mom was from Covington, Kentucky. And my sure. dad Dayton, Ohio. Right, right. Okay. And then how did you get to the University of Alabama? 
uh, you know, oddly enough, we were just recruiting. I was the number one player uh, in high school. So ESPN, before ESPN was like what everybody knows now, they uh, they had their their ESPN top top players and. We didn't even know. Like, this thing called ESPN was following me around, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, <laughs> you know? And, uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and I was one of the number one players. I was the number one player in the country. And my running back coach, um, he actually played on one of the last Xavier University um, uh, football teams uh-huh. in Cincinnati. Uh-huh. And so they were, they were calling him up saying, hey, uh, Ivy, you got to come up and see this kid. He's special. And, uh, and so he came up, got to see his family, eat some Montgomery and barbecue, uh, barbecue and, uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, and great yeah. ice cream. And, uh, and, and, uh, next thing you know, he was out there all the time. And, uh, and it was something about him, something about Gene Stallings, Jeez, you know, right, that, uh, right. yeah, it was good. Yeah. What year was that, Sean? Uh, 96. Uh, so I graduated 95. Okay. And I, of course, went to college, but I actually, I got redshirted in 95, so I didn't play till 96 season. Let's back up a little bit. When did you realize, uh, that you were good? Really good? Oh, uh, <laughs> so I am still the same guy okay. that my You're- older brother's and uh, and cousins like laugh about. Because You're still not sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, like I, I, I'm I'm the eating chips and playing hot dogs and or eating hot dogs and chips and everybody wants to go outside and play and I'm like, oh okay, yeah. And and I would hit the shot. And they'd be like, yeah, we won. We're always and I started realizing I was always like the first cousin pick. Yeah. And I was like, huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. 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 You never. They never let you get the big head, right? Well, I, I have four older brothers, oh, yeah, and my so, three yeah. and my three yeah. best friends are all older than me. So I was the baby in every kind of way, you know. I got you. Yeah. Well, that'll keep you. That'll keep your head on your shoulders and keep it from swelling too big, right? They'll let you yeah. know. Yeah. I, uh, even all up to the pros, God, God was good to me. Even up to the pros, uh, my uh, my wife never went to a football game before. Had never seen a football game live. Had never watched one all the way through. So about, I must have been about five years ago, you know, we've been married 17 years. So about year 12, I've been retired for about three years. And she was like, hey, I just realized you were probably really good at football. And I said, <laughs> I said, sweetie, we went to the Pro Bowl. We, we went to the Pro Bowl in Hawaii three years in a row. We, you know, I won the MVP. You know, we, we signed all these all these millions of dollars worth of contracts. And, and I said, what made you? She goes, well, I was watching your friend Tommy, talking about Tom Brady, and he was playing against this other guy that everybody was just talking about. He was 28 for the Vikings, but he was no good. He got tackled every time on the goal line. And I was like, that's Adrian Peterson, and he's really good. And, uh, yeah. She said, so I thought, I thought they were popping him up so much, and you, you scored all the time. So I thought, oh, you must have been really good. And I was like, yeah, thanks, sweetie. You know, and I just thought to myself, that's right. great. That is great. So she came a little later to the dance, huh? A little later. Yeah. yeah let me know that she was. A, that she must have really been into me. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it wasn't the press clippings. It was the guy, huh? Yeah, that's so, not a bad feeling. I feel it's weird, but it's not a bad feeling. You went on to the Seattle Seahawks, and uh, amazing. You were selected nineteenth overall in the two thousand draft. Uh, but uh, MVP in 2005, that was that was something. Um, 
I mean, I, you know, did did you did you expect that? I know you strove for it, but did you expect it? Yeah, you know, God's always done that to me. He's always kind of given me like the 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 tide and then the current that slows you down and then frees you up. And so, you know, people don't know this about me, but it felt like every year when I was in Seattle, loved by the fans. Fans loved me, but every year. I, I was just coached by a guru coach named Mike Holmgren, who yeah. loved the Lord, him and his wife, Kathy. She traveled and uh, did all these uh, missionary missions with her, her daughters. Yes. They had all daughters. And, um, but Mike was, Mike, he had, he had Joe Montana as a call, as an offensive coordinator. Then he had Steve Young. Then he goes to become a head coach at Green Bay, has Brett Favre. And then he comes here and, and he drafts me. And his idea was you're athletic. You can play football. But you're kind of like a running back. Like we, I don't do that with offense. And so, so that the, every year it was always like you're a great talent, but you're also expendable. So like we we get some trade picks for a good receiver for you. You're out of here. Okay. And so yeah. that was, that was every everyone was like, well, when did you feel comfortable in Seattle? I was like, when I came back and visited after I retired. You know, like yeah, 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 every, yeah. Every year, every year was like that. But that's just football, like. You got to be with the right coach with the right system, and what happened is, is Hasselbeck was a quarterback, and and uh, and he, you know, he got hurt. He had a couple of bad games. The coach was like, "I'm just going to give you the ball and see what happens." So I've always thanked coach for changing the offense around. But that year, it was like, all right, you've played six years. They've never given you a new contract. You've been playing in the Pro Bowl for. At the time, with with the NFL would say no money at all. I was making like four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars being in the All Star games, you know. And, yeah. and I'm playing with guys that are getting paid five, four, five, six million a year, and um, and so I signed a deal with them that they could not franchise me and they could not um, they could not keep me uh, this after this year. It's either all or nothing, and uh, and so my back's against the wall and. And usually when you do that, you don't show up until the season starts. And I had some of my good NFL um, iconic uh, mentors and leaders being like, man, just hold out. Just, you know, you don't want to get yourself hurt. And, um, and, uh, and I, I decided I was, I was praying and my wife was praying and I came in the kitchen and she said, Hey, I've been feeling like you should go ahead in the training camp. And I was like, I've been feeling that same thing too. And she's like, yeah, like we're just going to trust God with this. And, and I went in that season, and um, and we played well, and we were two and two. And I remember uh, it was really odd too. I was writing; I would get challenged by some of the kids I was mentoring and discipling um, to write some of my stories about my life and my faith and turn it into a book. And so I I asked uh, the lady at my church. Uh, uh, I said, "Hey." If I wanted to write a book, how would I do that? She said, oh, well, most people use a ghostwriter. She goes, oh, I got a friend, um, Cecil Murphy. He wrote Ben Carson's book, A Gifted Hands. Uh-huh. I said, oh, okay. She goes, he's like the most famous ghostwriter um, in the world. I was uh-huh. like, how can you be famous and be a ghostwriter? <laughs> you know? Not a ghost and, um, anymore, right? Yeah, right, right. yeah. And, and so I, I met Cecil, and we started writing it and editing it at the summer before the season. But I just felt like I should stop. And so, so as the season starts, we're two and two. I've had three good games. And then the next thing I know, um, I feel like I had an unction to start editing again. So I start editing and I'm editing it on Tuesdays, um, Mondays and Tuesdays. And what that's a light days for us. We don't practice. And 
we start off the rest of that season and it just clicked. I mean, I had so many big games and we get about seven games, eight games in, we've won all eight of them. So now we're like 10 and two. Um, I'm getting pulled out of games in the fourth quarter because we're beating people and my stats are so gaudy. And, uh, and I call him up and I said, Hey, I'm almost done editing this book. And he says, Sean, you don't realize the season you're having. Uh, let's just finish the season. You finish your editing and we'll write the three chapters left for this, for this season. And, uh, and we'll go. And so we get to the last game of the season and, uh, I'm about to win the MVP and our team is about to, uh, 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 go into the playoffs and I break the all time NFL rushing touchdown record in one season. And, um, as I'm crossing the end zone, uh, the guy says, Sean's in the run to the left, bounce outside, touchdown, Alexander. And, uh, and she's calls me up and says, I've got the name of your book, touchdown, Alexander. There you go. And, uh, and, uh, and, and we wrote it and it was just one of those things. Uh, I always tell people it was a great humbling thing to, to, go into a season without a team that you've been helping change the culture of without them giving you the contract that you feel you deserve. It was a, uh, it was a quite honoring thing to, to know that um, the guys circled around me. It was like, we're going to make this year. If this is it, we're going to make it special. And, uh, and then the win the MVP, it was, it was just God's hand, yes. you know, on yes. it the whole time. It's so sweet. Yes. Let me ask you, cause that's the part I want to talk about now is your life, your family, your faith. But uh, I, another Seattle, former Seattle Seahawk I know well, Jeff Kemp. Do you know Jeff? You must. Yeah, I know Jeff very well. Yeah, yeah, we were very close. Jeff, his father, Jack, and I were partners, and um, Mrs. Bennett is very close to Joanne Kemp, uh, Jack's Jack's widow. And we hear from Jeff, and I read Jack's, uh, Jeff's uh, emails about the Blitz and how to handle the yeah. Blitz. <laughs> and, and, That's right. Uh, he's, he's a fine Yeah, I'm on that side, too. Yeah, he's a fine man. When did you first uh, discover that you were you had faith? Was it always the case that you were a boy of faith before you were a man of faith? Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it too. Because I am always hesitant to get people into the mindset that you make a confession of your faith at four or six years old, and you really love God, even though you live like a heathen in high school and in college and after college. I'm like, no, no, that's not how this thing works. There are some that will grab, be grabbed by the Lord. And I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm saying like, you're just different. You're, you're caught up by the Lord and you say yes to that. And as a boy of faith, you, you live that until you become a man of faith and then you live that. And, um, and I, I was, that was my case. You know, I'm not, I don't put judgment on, on people cause everybody's got to walk their own walk. But when I was 10, I had a serious encounter with God and I, I was at church on an Easter service and it sounds cliche, but I just remember looking at my mom and I said, what is happening? I, I see people crying and weeping. I feel I feel something tangible, like it's, I can feel something on me. And I said, but I, I don't know, I don't know what to do with what I'm feeling. And I don't know why people are moved and crying. It's, it's the first time I've seen men cry like this at our church. And uh, she said, people are coming out of something, getting ready for something or going into something. And they've all figured out the answer is Jesus. Wow, and man. I said, mom, I need to know who that is. And, you were, and, you were uh, 10. You were 10. 10 years old. And I said, I need to know who that is. And I said, God, I don't know much, but I do know how to be obedient. If you show me what you want, I'll do it. 
And I was like that. And so like people would be like, well, hey, you know, people would come up to me and say, Sean, you seem like a, a good upstanding young man. Do you have like any, any, uh, wild past or do you got any, uh, secret tattoos and things? And if, you know, and I'm yeah. like, okay, yeah, I, I, no, I, I, I don't have that. Like, like God grabbed me and there, there was, there was seasons in my life where I even tried to think about being foolish and God would have my mom call or have my dad call or have my brother show up and I'd be like, all right, God, I'm yours. And it, and it just always reminds me of, of, of my prayer when I got, as I got a little bit older, I got to high school. I was like, God, can you just keep reminding me that I'm yours? Okay. And I've lived my life like that. Like, God, I just want you to keep reminding me why. Cause, cause foolishness is all throughout this world, but you are, you're so good. Like if I ask for the, the one simple prayer, it would be that that you keep reminding me that I'm yours. Not that you're awesome. You are awesome, and I get it. You know, what I mean, it ain't that being godly is the best way, and it is the best way. But like when you have like an identity set, like I'm yours. This is who I am. It just shifts. The rules are no longer rules. It's kind of like I love when I read the disciples going there eat without washing their hands. Why? He's like they're with me. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, good. This is very good. Uh, just, just two things. Uh, I want to make a comment in a second, but God grabbed you, you said, but who walked you to God? Who walked you to church? Who introduced you to, to church? Was that uh, your mom? Yeah, my mom. My mom was amazing. <laughs> and so, and so, like, we always have a joke because we talk about sipping saints and cussing Christians. And, and, uh, sipping and saints like, and cussing Christians, all right. And, you know, I got to put that like, away. I got to put that away. Claude's, Claude's laughing at me and pointing at me. Yeah, all right. Uh huh. You know, and so my mom and my grandma, they love the Lord, but every now and then they would call these words French. And I'm like, that is not French. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but my mom, she had a heart for the Lord and she had a heart for people and, and uh, she's still living, she's 70. But, uh, but I, I just remember like her giving money to a cousin or an auntie and then our lights going out and being like, Hey, our lights are, Oh, I was going to pay the bill. You know, my check didn't come in. I'll, I'll pay it. Yeah. And if I kick out tomorrow, like she was that kind of person, yeah. like always, always was, um, to go make sure someone else has got it. And, and she she just molded me. She was just like, hey, babe, this is it. Did you grow up with a dad, Sean? No, my mom and dad uh, were divorced when I was about sixth grade. Um, but it was always rocky. My dad, um, and a lot of people don't know this, but my dad had nine kids from four different women. Oh, wow. And I was... I was the youngest and best looking. It was like, you know, it's a cult. Yes. You know what I mean? It's a cult. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Just asking. Yeah. Just ask so, the you know, but but uh, it it um I used to be so ashamed to even say that. And um and I just realized like when you walk the walk, um, God gives you every opportunity to make every trial um make him the hero of your story. And I just realized like, yeah, like my dad did, but I had the closest relationship with my dad and all my older four brothers. Um and a lot of it was because I would ask really blunt questions. Like, Dad, what in the world was you thinking? No, but uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, but uh-huh. my dad, he, for some reason, he just he, he lovingly told me the truth. And I was just being foolish. I was being selfish. And that's not the way to go. And, you know, and as y'all know, I'm here with my 11th child. He calls me up after the ninth. He's like, Sean, you've so done it the right way. You don't know any other woman but your wife. You saved yourself yeah. to your marriage. Oh, wow. that's, that's the way you do it, you know. And so, and so he was just that, that guy. But uh, but my mom, 
she never spoke negative about my dad. I, I'd ask her even when, you know, I was junior high, hey, what's up with dad? And she'd be like, yeah, he's trying to figure things out. And she would keep it like that. So I didn't have like this bad idea of him. Like I it was you. all part of it was wow. all part of the real conversation. What a blessing. What a blessing, your mom. That's amazing. Um, you know, you reminded me, you've given me something. I, I talk about this a lot, but I, when you're talking about 10 years old being grabbed by God, I, I always talk about St. Augustine. And Augustine, you know, a little boy, and he was growing up, and his mother looked after him. And, and uh, when he got to his teens, he, you know, he got into the world and he made a prayer and he wrote it down in his book the confessions and he said oh lord give me chastity but not yet but, you know and you know and you know a lot of guys like that he was in his late teens early 20s but you had it at 10 you were the you were the different story um that's that's, that's an amazing counterpoint story uh, that, that you have tell me about the family now uh tell me about your wife your kids you know what? Even before I tell you about that, let me tell you, yeah. my, my mom's sisters, my mom had six sisters and one brother. And my mom's youngest sister, Aunt Eugenia, she married Uncle Miles. Our, Uncle Miles was a fire captain at, in Cincinnati. And he was just a steady rock. I mean, when you're a fireman, you're already like a hero. And, uh, and sure. so he was just, he would take me and my brothers and my best friends, he'd take us out fishing. And, uh, and he was one of those people, like, he's left-handed, and so we all deal cars. Him, his sons, all of us, we all deal cars left-handed. We're like, why don't we always do that? And then Uncle Miles is left-handed. We're like, oh, he taught us all how to play cars. I see, we were, I we see. Were, we, were all, we were all fishing, and he just turned on and said, so any of y'all got girlfriends? And everybody was like, oh, yeah, yeah, tell him about so-and-so, this or that. You know, and everybody was kind of mumming around. I was the baby of the group. And, um, and he said, yeah, he goes, I just want y'all to know, I only know my wife. Wow. And I just remember saying to myself, I want to be like that. How old were you? How so, old were you when, they, when you heard that? We were probably like 12 or 13. Wow, that's the right age to hear it, right? Yeah. And uh, and, I, and I just remember thinking to myself, like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And, I, and I'm not saying that I went to college and I wasn't challenged. Woo! Roll Tide, it was challenging. You <laughs> yeah, know? I'll bet. I'll bet. <laughs> you know? Big football but, uh, star. But, yeah, yeah. But part of it was I wanted to be the 40-year-old man I saw my uncle being. You yes, know, I, mean, I wanted to be that guy that had kids and the kids were solid. I wanted to be that guy that um, that really just represented his family well. And that seemed, and I, you know, I had some uncles and, and other friends' dads that just wasn't, my dad included. And I knew what that turned out to be. I'm like, okay, that seems cool for the moment, but like, they don't seem like they're they're old and happy about their past. And and I tell some of the boys I disciple now, it's like, you know what? When you get old, no one says, "Ooh, I wish I was with more women, and I wish I had less kids." Right. Like, no one ever That's says right. those two things. Yeah, you know no, I mean? my, my wife runs a program, abstinence program, and she says that no girl has ever said, "Oh, I wish I'd started sex earlier." You know. Yeah, yeah. Never, never, never been said. Never been said. Uh, so yeah. Uncle Uncle Moss, if I have his name right, he filled Uncle a hole. Uncle Miles, Uncle Miles, Miles, Uncle Miles. He filled a hole. Yeah, he did. He, he was off. Do boys need men? Totally, totally. You know, I'm, I'm uh, some of the young men I'm pouring to today out here in our town. Um, it's amazing how. Whether they wait a minute, are wait, a minute. wait, 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 wait. You're ministering to young men. You got 10 at home and about to have 11. You don't have enough yeah, work at yeah, home. Yeah. yeah, no, it's all done. Like it's, it's and all that's done. The thing. Like, right. you, you, 
you got to you got to stay in your in your bandwidth. You know what I mean? Like, yes, uh, sir, like I do. I, I'm, and so, I, yeah, I just believe that fathers have the ability to create a standard, a direction, and the identity for their sons, whether it's whoever is up under them. So that's why I'm I'm fully believe in mentoring. I fully believe in discipling. And I think that people need to know the difference. You know, mentoring can almost be like a coach. Discipling is really more like fathering. You know what I mean? And you get in their life and in their stuff. Um, and uh, more like a trainer. You know what I mean? A trainer with this and a coach and a trainer. Yeah. The trainer has to sweat just as much as the, as the athlete because they're both grinding, you know? That's right. And, That's right. Uh, and, but uh, I think that the identity gets really set in a standard of who they are and how they how they should do it and then direction where they're going. Those get set by fathers and mothers can try to, and I know, and my mom did a really great job, but it was, it, it had to be a man that let me say, okay, stand like this, posture yourself like a fight like this. And, um, and I think that it's always tough because even in church today, it's almost catered towards women trying to play that role. Yes. And then you don't have people really getting into discipling, fathering type relationships with the young men in the church. Yeah. So what happens is everybody's passive and you're like, wait a minute, why is it that when you go off to college, you also be, become passive? Do you not know who you are? Do you not know the standards that we keep? Do you not know what's, where you're going, what direction you're going? That's really up by man. And it's really easy because you, if you don't, you can have some unrelational fathers slip in really quick. And they control everything that you're doing. That's great. It's a great observation. Now, you mentioned coaches. I will not compare my experience of football with yours, not for a second, except to tell you that when I was Secretary of Education, we started a program that still exists, which is the Secretary of Education of the United States picks his favorite teacher. And I picked my line coach from high school, Mike Warner. He's a, he's a Marine. And when I when I had him there for the evening, people were surprised, you know. But I, I said, I was born. I was growing up. My mother had been divorced two, three times, and there was no there was no father in the house. And I said, he, I was a fifteen, sixteen year old boy playing football, and I thought macho, you know, being a man meant macho, you know, walking around tough, you know, chip on your shoulder type. And Mike Warner taught me. That being a man meant perseverance, being able to take a hit and keep on going, sticking with the task. And he, I remember, you know, he'd say, you know, you got to practice. You can't just show up game day. All those lessons, my mother worked her heart out. My grandmother worked her heart out. But there were certain lessons only a man could provide. And I, I think a lot of coaches do that and fill that gap for a lot of young people, don't they? Yeah, I do. I, I think so. I think that they try. And I think that if you ever can get a save coach, it goes just miles farther than what you can imagine. Yes. You know, and I, I, know, I know the unsaved coaches, they're, they're doing their best, but really the goal is still their football program. A right. saved coach well, in them that's like, I want I you. You got to make me laugh because I know your priorities, but I remember my high school coach, the head coach, said this. Hope you get a laugh out of this. He said, Remember, boys, the three most important things in life. Faith, family, and football, but not in that order. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hey, you know, I remember. Uh, I remember our coach said, "Hey, I know that you guys want this," and he'd hold up his fingers. He'd say, "Hey, um, education is number one," and he'd hold up the number two. And football is number two. And he hold up the number one. He said, "Don't forget what I said." <laughs> That's great. That's great. Say, See it and go get it. That's great. <laughs> I always said that 
That's <laughs> great. You know, so that, that, that's how it always is. So, and so you already know, there's, there's a war of the program because honestly, if you're not winning or at least competitive, you're not coaching. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so we don't want to lower that, but I think that's also part of being learning how to be a man and learning how to really be godly, whether you're a man or a woman, is that part of it is a fight for your faith. You know what I mean? And so that's okay. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. Part of yes, it sir. Is like, hey, we're, we're really going after something. We're not just going to, you know, go. I, I was asked on ESPN, um, you know, here the other day, they just named another award after me. They named the College Football Freshman Player of the Year after me. So if you win the best player, you're the Heisman. If you're the best freshman, you you win the Alexander. Nice. And um, and so the uh, the uh, guy on the show said, man, you used to smile. And our coach would come on the board and he'd say, he'd write the number 37 and he'd say, and he'd circle it and say, don't you all get confused. This guy smiles and he laughs the whole game. But you look up and he gets people fired. <laughs> And, uh, and he said, yeah, he said, hey, this guy is an ass murderer. He will destroy you and run up stats and score touchdowns. And he'll be laughing the whole time. And he doesn't know you're thinking he's playing the game. And he's trying to murder you on this okay. football <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk. Just we got a couple minutes. It's a wonderful conversation. Um, we're going to put a link up to your books and your, your other work so people can connect. Tell us about the world, modern world, contemporary America. Uh, one of the, you know, we're talking about these shootings now, these horrible mass shootings, other things, and not just the mass shootings, but the shootings every weekend in Chicago. One of the things that I think is missing from a lot of the conversation is, you know, the, the soullessness of, of some of these people, these young people. They just de- don't seem to, I mean, everybody has a soul, but the soul just didn't seem to be grabbed, to use your verb from earlier, cultivated, uh, right and wrong, pointed in the right direction. I remember when I was drug czar, I was the first drug czar, I went to Detroit, and I met the chief of police, and he he said, you know, a whole bunch of things, but he said, you know, uh, you should talk to this judge. I went and talked to the judge who was doing most of the sentencing, and he said, you know, he said, I, I see these young men come in, and I say to them, young man, didn't anyone ever teach you the difference between right and wrong? And they look up at me, and they say, judge, no. And he said, you know what, Mr. Bennett, I believe him. I really believe them. I'm not sure anybody ever did. How how big and serious and fundamental a problem is that right now? Yeah, you know, I, I think that... Um it goes back into a big, big, deep thing um, with education and the real goal. And, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, my so I, my mom retired from Procter & Gamble and then saw through shootings, decided to get a, a, a psychology degree, became a truancy officer in our little town in Kentucky and uh, in Florence, Kentucky. And, uh, and, um, and so she was there and we just talked about education and I was like, Mom, I don't I have and I'm I'm homeschool dad, you know, we homeschool our kids and I said, Mom, I just don't understand like why you guys in the education system feel like you can dictate when a parent can take their kid in and out of school. Yeah. She says, well, we have, we have excused and unexcused absence. I'm like, they're the parents. Should it matter? You know what I mean? And, and so she said, well, it does because we got to do this. And I said, yeah. I said, well, it's almost like you think you're parenting the kids. And then, I, and then it hit me. They think they do. And it's because some parents want them to. They believe in co-parenting. And I'm like, mm. and so what happens is you got parents, unfortunately, thinking the school's going to do it. And you got schools thinking that, they don't have to, or they don't really want to, or yeah. it's not fully their responsibility, yeah. Yeah. which it should be. 
And so now you have kids that are like, well, what's right and wrong? Well, if you want to get in trouble, get in trouble during this period because that period is the serious teacher. And you don't. It's just fully not there. And yes, so I fully point. believe that people, I fully believe that kids don't want to wake up and grow up and be all over the place, have no identity and no standards and no directions. But I also believe that there's been a lie that parents think or have thought that having um, working extra hours at their work, both the parents working, I'm not saying you can do whatever you want, but if no one's with the child, who do you think's raised the child? And their idea is just give them the best education. So now what you're going to have is some smart, unkept kids, some smart, untrained kids. Training is hard work and everybody has to do it, <laughs> you know? And what's happened is if we have kids that are, that they are just not trained and, and the scriptures are clear. If your eye is dark, your whole body will be dark. And so in other words, if you view things incorrectly, you're going to do things incorrectly. And so we have a society that's thought more on opinion and more than facts. And you get a society more on, on do what kind of feels right more than sacrifice and serve. And so we have a lot of things that just, you know, just quick answers. Everybody has to have it your way. And I'm like, there's no way that any of that really works. And so what happens is everything starts to shake. You know, one of the young men just saw me. Uh, I saw him at a grocery store. And I was like, bro, I see you in five years. He's like, hey, you've always been on my heart, always been on my mind. You just taught me so much. He was just working at the grocery store, just walking in and out of the grocery store. And I would see you and your family. And it's that you talk. He goes, I finally got married. I said, man, are y'all, y'all any kids? He says, no, we're still waiting on kids. We're going to try to wait till we get some money and get that free. I said, well, I do want to just give you some insight. You never have enough money and you're never prepared for kids. Never. There's yeah. never a time where you finally got it. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. He goes, well, what is it with my generation that thinks that we will? I was like, y'all been lied to. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Good for you. Good for you. You know, and the, there's another thing going on out there, and I've heard this, and I heard somebody respond to it very effectively. A group of people were talking about kids and saying, yeah, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell them. I don't know how to guide them. It's a whole new world. You know, it's a brave new world with the Internet and all this stuff. I just, I just, I just, I throw up my hands. And this other parent said, that is surrender. And you are not allowed to surrender to the world. Yeah. Especially in the presence of your children, right? Right. That's right. It's very, it, and to me, like, sometimes we make it so complex. we got to have a five-year, 10-year, 13-year, 15-year plan. Look, dude, like, let's, let's, let's have an idea where we want to be at the end of this thing. All worshiping Jesus forever. But, like, let's, let's, let's take steps in that direction. Like, you know what? Tell your kids to stop watching so much TV and let's just have a conversation. Good. Like, there would be so much that people can hear if they just actually have a conversation with their kids. And then they say, hey, here's what's probably best. This is where you want this thing to end up. You know what I mean? Like, when you actually get kids there, they can be like, well, I don't really want to end up there. Well, here's what the one or two things happen. They're going to still do it. And when they're there, they're going to be like, hey, I don't want to end up here and I'm here. Hopefully, they have prodigal son type moments. They come running back to the father and to the mother and be like, yeah, hey. I sinned against you. Uh, you told me, uh, and if you're like always saying, "Hey, you, you here's here's the standard," and if you go the way, here's how it's going to end up, and they go, then you can always say, "You're always welcome back." And they come back, and you can now say, "Hey, now look, let's go do this great." You know what I mean? So now that's an, but if you don't say nothing and they go, man, I, I look kids in the eyes, and their eyes are just dark. Like there's no hope. There's no sparkle. Yeah. Yeah. There's no fire. And I'm like, man, like I was reading my kids this one Isaiah. I was like. He said, who, who can I go get? Who can I send? 
and and I said I started raising her hand. Hey, then me. You want to? And it was talking about the being dull fire of God, dull to the ways of God. I'm like, hey, if God was like, hey, I'm looking for somebody to fire up the truth, somebody that's not be dull with him. What would you say to him? And there, and my kids were like, yeah, I was trying to send me like, yeah, really? I think because we can get y'all excited about TV or basketball, and uh, and we get y'all excited about sports or even academics and scholarships and Harvard and Yale and Alabama and. We can be excited about those things, but who's still who's still, who who's going to be the one that changes your friends and your family from being dull about Jesus? Who's going to do that? Good for you. God's always asking who's going to be one. All right, all right. Listen, you're making me feel inadequate as a father, and of only two. My gosh, yeah, I just, this is just discouraging to me. You're lifting me up, and and, and I'm feeling depressed at the same time. How, I got to ask you, just on a lighter note, you got ten. You're homeschooling. What are your subjects, Mr. Alexander? And what are your wife's? I, I do math and Bible, okay. and Valerie tells me. It probably does English and history. Okay. And then we usually bring in somebody to come and do the sciences. Good. And and, and then our, our our daughters can sing and they love instruments. So we got fabulous piano and violin voice oh teachers. They they're they're awesome. And but we're, we're so thankful for them. And and then we all we all we all tell everybody every year. We get into August, which is my birthday. I'm about to turn turn uh, turn uh, this next year, August 30th. You know what I mean? So, so we're all excited that. But usually in this time, we give mommy a resting weekend, so she gets a four day weekend by herself. But we also start saying, "Hey, you can't pour new wine into old wine skins." Yeah. And we say, "Hey, here's the new wine that God has for us. Here's y'all's new grade." Here's some things that God's telling us to think. Here's some things that Dad's going to be a part of with football or ministry and this and that. Here's what we see. Here's all the new wine for this next year. Now we're going to build the wine skin that's going to be able to hold that. And we just we decided together, and we all walked through. All right, plans for this, and, and so one year, one kid's like, "Yeah, hey, so it doesn't look like um, I should go play basketball this year." And one kid might say, "Yeah, and I might not do acting this year." Yeah, so you know, it won't fit. Okay, cool. And as a family, we put the new wine skin around our schedule, and we have everybody involved. So we have buddy times and we have partner times and we have dinner times and this and that. And one, their daughters loves to cook. And so she gets to cook certain meals and, and it's just a part of it. And we have some breakfast Bible times and then we have sit down Bible times. And we just decide how we're going to do it. But, but we, we form new wine skin every year. It's just it's a new wine that God has there. All right. I'm looking at the new wine. I'm looking at the new wine skin. I got a, I got a funny story. You told the story early on about your wife discovering that you were a great player. You know, after how many years that she'd been married to you? Oh man, we have we've been married twelve years. All right, we already played in the college. All right, so so my wife decided one of these Saturdays with our boys and their friends, we're watching you know four college games, and she is listening and being attentive and looking down, looking up. At the end of the day, she said, "Those people who are commenting on like at halftime and then afterwards," she said, "Do they pay those people?" I said, "Yes." Why? She said. They all say the same thing all the time. I said, "What? She, oh, yeah. They got to get some offense going. They got to do some blocking. They got to play, get toughen up." I said, "Well, there's a certain repetition to it, but you know, if you love the game, you love the game." It is. It was kind of funny. You know, you get you get a wife paying attention the first time. She goes, "My gosh, these people aren't geniuses. They're all saying the same thing all the time." 
right 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 sean you are a blessing uh you're an inspiration um we thank god you're there and continue to be you and um Goodness gracious. Thank you, Sean Alexander. Thank you very, very much. My man, bless you, man. Keep it going. Okay. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. All right. So every year, everyone looks forward to hearing the table manner rules uh, <laughs> as uh, presented by Mrs. Bennett. Uh, and so it's Thanksgiving, and we want to hear those rules again. We've been getting emails about them. Folks are saying, hey, are you still going to do the table manner? We're like, yes, we are. <laughs> and so, Mrs. Bennett, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And uh, oh, yeah, let's it's my pleasure and well, my honor to be invited on the podcast. <laughs> well, this began, let's see, probably five or six years ago mm-hmm. when I realized I needed to crack down <laughs> that things had to get better uh-huh. fast right and we were having a big thanksgiving dinner and um i was starting to think that i may have failed as a mother in etiquette so i made a list and it has about 12 rules on it that i think are, are pretty vital for nice behavior at special occasions and thanksgiving mm-hmm. is one of the most special absolutely so number one napkin in the lap first mm-hmm. before we can do anything take our napkin out from under the fork and put it in your lap number two remember to drink from the glass or the glasses to the right over the knife oh Always take your glass. The glass that is yours is to your right, and there may be a lot of them, Mm -hmm. but you start at the right and look. Do not look to the left. Then your bread and butter plate or your salad plate, sometimes you just have a a salad plate, Mm -hmm. will be to the left over the fork. And one of my students taught me this little memory game that his mother told him. The code is BMW. All right. Bread meal, water. Wow. Bread, Mm -hmm. reading left to right, meal in the middle, water on the right side over your knife. It's a great little phrase. Now, the young men and young women, my program, get it. Best friends Mm -hmm. and best Best men, they all got this down. (laughs) My children, on the other hand, are still struggling with it, and they're millennials. Okay. Number four, no talking with your mouth full. Okay. That's a big one. Big Mm -hmm. one. No one can hear you clearly. Not a nice thing to do. food is spraying all over the place. I had an incident at a gala two weeks ago that Mm -hmm. there was a gentleman at my table sitting next to me who was Mm -hmm. talking with his mouth full. Mm -hmm. There were particles of food that ended up in my water glass. I needed new water. Now that is really disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And that is a no-no. Yes. And that can happen. And and it's wonderful to laugh at the dinner table, but obviously, if you have food in your mouth, you must pick up your napkin and cover your mouth. Right. Number five, try very hard not to spill your food on the table and up the front of your shirt and especially <laughs> on your tie. I feel as if this may be directed towards someone I well, work with. Well, it is. <laughs> My boys are genetically predisposed to this. Because their father mm-hmm. and their uncle have a real issue with their Keep, ties. Yeah, keeping the tie clean. Keeping the tie clean I've and clawed. I think you have. I've seen this in person, and mm-hmm. I don't think I've I've had a meal with Dr. Bennett without some of it spilling on a tie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He'd like to claim it as a disability, but I'm not buying it. <laughs> Number six, 
wait until the lady of the house is seated and has raised her fork. Ah, uh, see, that's just a, a manner of respect at that point. Well, I mean, she's it is. The lady of the house has worked and, very yeah. hard all day and possibly two or three days true. prior. So we wait until the lady of the house takes her seat and raises her fork to mm-hmm. begin eating. Number seven, wait especially at significant meals for a prayer of blessing for the food. Number eight, and this is a biggie, do not blow your nose at the table. Oh, okay. Right. Never. Mm -hmm. Working on that one (laughs) with the Bennett boys. Excuse yourself Mm -hmm. and blow your nose in the next room where no one can hear you. Got it. Got it. Number nine, do not place the wine bottle on the floor by your chair. (laughs) So that you can easily refill it and um, then no one else has access to that particular wine bottle. Mm -hmm. That is a big no-no. Number 10, do not ever punctuate your sentences in any way with your silverware. Now, I have to say I've watched millennials carefully in this and somehow many of them have missed that. (laughs) I have seen the knife being Mm -hmm. swirled around. I have seen the fork being pointed and being pointed almost like, you know, a a saber. (laughs) Uh, Not appropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number 11, always Always personally thank the hostess and tell her the food was delicious. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's especially important if you have left enough food on the floor under your chair for the family dog's next meal. <laughs> I have had that happen. I mm-hmm. have. Then I see, you know, the um, excess food on the floor. And then I'm thinking, did this person ever even thank me for dinner? <laughs> Sonny Boy thanked me. Oh, I'm sure. But did this person thank me? There it is. And then number 12, and this is probably the most important of all. If you want your mother to go to her grave with a peaceful heart, (laughs) offer to clear the table, take out the garbage, Mm -hmm. and always, always follow up with a handwritten thank you note, not an email. Oh, so no email, no text messages handwritten thank you note and it's probably important too to listen to this and be proactive like it's one thing to clear the table and take the trash out when you're asked but if you Mm -hmm. do it without being asked i mean that's that is lovely right that is truly a gracious thing to do i'll make sure i do that if you stand up take your plate (laughs) say uh where would you like me to put this Mm -hmm. not would you like me to clear where would you like me to put this because of course she would like you to clear the table Mm-hmm. <laughs> she would like you to do something, mm-hmm. help out in, in whichever way you can. Right. Got it. Okay. Exactly. And if you absolutely cannot get a thank you note out within three to four days, mm-hmm. a quick text mm-hmm. saying, thank you, it was lovely, I will allow, but only if it's followed up with a handwritten note. Okay. Well, there you go. Got it. I have on file all the handwritten notes mm-hmm. I've received from young people over the years I love them. I go back and look at them. And those young people who sent me a handwritten thank you note, I will do just about anything for. <laughs> <laughs> right. There you go. And I hate to say the file that I have, 
has become a little thin in the last few years. Oh, okay. They're not writing them any, okay. As emails okay. and texts have mm-hmm. taken over. Oh, well, there you go. But I will guarantee any young person or old person or middle-aged person mm-hmm. who follows these rules will always be invited back. And we'll make sure we post that on the Facebook page and on the website. And one other thing, uh, so we were talking earlier about the, the practice turkey and the presentation <laughs> turkey. Right. Kind of go through the practice turkey. Well, the practice turkey is actually my gravy turkey because I want to have a lot of gravy. And in order to do that, you often have to have two turkeys. One turkey may not yield enough for 10 to 12 to 15. If you have 20 okay, people, you right. absolutely. So Bill has ca- is, has been calling in my practice turkey, but it's also the turkey that you can have for extra Correct. Later for sandwiches. Right. But he oftentimes tries to mm-hmm. consume Sneak in. the turkey mm-hmm. before practice. Yeah. He's, he <laughs> thinks the practice turkey is his turkey. Right. It is not. <laughs> so we're work, we've worked hard to hide the practice turkey, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> wrap up the practice turkey, mm-hmm. because he will get his fair share and more on Thanksgiving Day. Right. Well, it's not Thanksgiving on the Bill Bennett Show without having you on, Mrs. Bennett. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, Claude, it was my honor, and I know you know these rules because I know you're a mother, and you have wonderful manners. And Claude, I have had many a dinner with you, and I just want to say you have followed these rules perfectly, and I know it's because of your dear mother. She has my utmost regard and respect and I want to wish the Jennings family a beautiful and happy Thanksgiving and every family out in the wonderful uh, US of A, especially those families who listen to the Bill Bennett podcast. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. We're going to do some emails next week, Claude. Let's do some emails. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. We're definitely going to read some emails. So if you got something to say about the show or about any of these issues, drop us a line at BillBennettPodcast uh, at gmail.com. Uh, oh, That's it. Say it again. Bill Bennett Podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.